You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. You can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at TheBatmanBC for upcoming episodes, new episodes, and even some giveaways. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan. Lauer, spelled like lower. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by BatmanOnFilm.com. Just go to BatmanPodcastNetwork.com for other shows that share our nerdy interests. You can also write to the Batman Book Club at thebatmanbc at gmail.com for questions or comments. Concerns, go to Eric Holzman. And lastly, make sure to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. The link to that section is listed in the description of this episode. The more reviews that we get for the show, the more the word spreads. And as we all know, that word is panic. Now, we're continuing Turtle Week this week, uh, as you heard in the last episode. Garrett Grev, Minnesota's finest, joined me to dissect and gush all about the Batman TMNT Adventures book. And a fun surprise for this episode, I get to sit down and speak with that series author, Matthew K. Manning. He sheds a lot of light and answers a lot of questions about the book, and he's just a really nice guy. And you could definitely tell the passion was there, and it was a dream project for him, kind of like it was a dream series for us all to read about. So, I don't want to take up any more time. Let's get to the interview now with Matthew Manning. And I'm joined now by author Matthew Manning. Matt, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so before we get into this discussion on your work on Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for first-time guests on the Batman Book Club, I always like to ask someone, what is your favorite Batman story? Uh, out of all time, all in all mediums kind of thing? Or? Yeah, I, I don't like to limit to anything. It can be any story, anywhere. Uh, it's that, I mean, it's a pretty tough one for me. It's probably uh, between um, Year One and Dark Knight Returns. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, those are those both hit right when I was at the right age, and I, I still haven't found too many stories I like, you know, or as much as that, at least. That set the bar. It seems like there's a lot that are always chasing that level of instant classics, you know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Very cool. So uh, I reached out to you a, a while ago because I'd read, well, I've read your Batman TMNT Adventures book as soon as it came out. Every single issue, release day, I was there first in line getting it. I'm a big fan. And I'd started to notice that you... Your name is associated with a lot of other work uh, when it comes to to comics. Uh, could you kind of give us a little bit of like what's your what's Matthew Manning's story? Uh, well, I'm uh, yeah, I'm kind of like that the the guy that's written the most Batman things that you've never heard of. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've I've actually well um, I've written about over eighty books now um, and almost as many comics. Actually, just a few less comics I think at this point. I'm not sure, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I went to the, um, I, I've been a Batman fan. Um, Batman got me into it. And then quickly after Ninja Turtles and Dick Tracy and Spider-Man. So um, 
but Batman was the what I originally started with, and uh, I, I kind of you know grew up a big Batman fan from the after the Michael Keaton movie kind of ruined my life there, and so <laughs> sought out every comic. Well, actually, I mean my first comics I'd read was before um, the Keaton movie. I, I uh, discovered Batman and the Outsiders, and I absolutely loved it for one reason or another. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's still one of my favorites, and um, so I, I discovered that and kind of branched out. Um, through the rest of the DC universe uh, with that team first and then new teen Titans. But um, I decided early on, probably about um, I was in fifth grade when the Batman movie came out and I already knew I wanted to do comics. But before then I was very focused on doing like a, I really wanted to do maybe a comic strip or something like a humor strip. And then uh, I, after the Batman movie, it was just all serious comics from then on kind of for me. I mean, I'd still, I still read a lot of comic strips too, but um, that was always my main focus. So, Ended up, I went to the School of Visual Arts in uh, New York City, um, and well, I grew up in Ohio, so it was kind of a big, uh, a big change for that. And I majored in cartooning, and while I was there, I interned at uh, DC Comics when they were still in New York. And it kind of uh, went from there. I realized about my sophomore year that I didn't really have the patience to stay as a comic book artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of lost interest in, in the story halfway through when I was drawing. So I'd write the, uh, write an idea for like homework or whatever I was working on. And then I, as I was drawing it, the actual labor of the, of, of drawing it was never, I was never quite as, um, I'm, I'm, I've never been quite that good at drawing out of my head. I can draw, um, from looking at things. So I'd have to use a lot of reference and, uh, photo reference and things from my comics. And it kind of took all the magic out of it for me. And I really was all about the storytelling. Once I was done thumb, thumbnailing it, I lost a lot of the enthusiasm. And I think yet that, kind of showed in my art. So I decided to focus just on writing. And um, when I was interning at DC, um, I interned for Dan Raspler and Tony Bedard in the Justice League offices. Oh, cool. And, yeah, and so I was, I kind of got firsthand experience working with those guys. And then I asked if I could stay on a second semester. And at that point, apparently nobody had asked to stay on two semesters to intern. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, you want to keep working for free? Okay. And so... <laughs> But then that, that second semester while I was stayed there, I was trying. I showed some scripts around, and um, I finally, um, what really helped me was that no one took away my security pass to get in the building, and so I just kept going in all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, this, uh, um, and then I would just pop into different offices and hey, here's a new script. Do you want to look at this? That kind of thing. And at one point, Raspler was like, "Well, I, I don't have time to read a script right now. Here, just write me a pitch for Justice League Adventures." And uh, and I was like, oh, that's way better. So I went home and I wrote a pitch and he he hated it. And so I asked if I could write another one and he said, "Okay." And then I kept doing that. I think it was about three, three pitches. And he finally uh, decided to buy the issue. And then after that, we went, um, I I just kind of kept plugging along. I I did a second issue of Just League Adventures and that kind of spiraled into doing um, Batman Strikes. And I've done a lot of um, all ages books uh, for DC at that point. And then I finally started writing some um, books. I think the first the first book I worked on was for DK Publishing. I did a um, Ultimate Guide to Spider-Man update, and I, I kept getting a lot of books um, for Marvel. And I actually, I wrote a comic for Marvel in there, a couple little short comics for Marvel in there too. But I really kind of focused on the book work. I could get uh, uh, it, comics were so few and far between. A, a big book would you know paid for a, a lot more months of rent in new york city you know than a, a single yeah. comic book. so i kind of focused on the books and did the comics when i got the opportunity and i'm still kind of doing that today so i kind of moved into um i started doing uh beware the batman i was writing that comic for a while 
Um, it was a very short, because the series was very short. It was canceled so early. So um, the, they canceled our comic at the same time. But that led to me doing some um, Ninja Turtle work over for IDW, and I'm a big Ninja Turtle guy too, so that was a, that was a, a big thing. And then that, that led into Batman uh, Turtles Adventures, since I'd kind of done all-ages books of Batman and the Turtles. Um, uh, so I got to pitch for that, and they liked mine. And we went ahead with it. And then now I'm just finishing my run on... I did a 12-issue run on Marvel um, Action uh, Avengers uh, for IDW as well. And that I've been done for a long time with the script, but I think the issue's going to come out in the next week or two, issue 12. And so I'm finishing that up, and I've just been doing a lot of books since so wow that's that is a fascinating story that's a great story so if if i may ask how old were you then when you had pitched the justice league adventures story um i i was right out of college so i want to say i'm 20 maybe i mean somewhere around 22 wow but then I didn't make a living i i still had to have a day job up until i was 30 when mm-hmm. i was 30 i finally got to quit my day job and uh, and then I just kind of I was able to get I was getting enough essentially I was getting enough book jobs that I was working all day at my day job and then working at night on the books mm-hmm. and I was like well if I'm really going to take a shot at this so I quit my day job and it did open up more time to do books and it made me it forced me to hunt for more and more jobs and so I've kind of branched out from di- the different kind of books I do I read a lot of the big uh, coffee table his- history books um, I did uh, Batman related I did um, the the, uh, I co-wrote uh, the Batman Vault, and then I got to do um, Batman Visual History and the Batman mm-hmm. Files and the Batman Character Encyclopedia, so a lot of books like that. I did a book on the Arkham Asylum games for DK, but then I also got to branch out and do a lot of like children's books or chapter books, or um, some are actually kind of a little bit of both. There'll be like a chapter of uh, the story in prose, and then there'll be like a page break that's actually a comic page, and then go, you go back to the story, so those are kind of fun too, so... Done a lot of things for um, Capstone with those type of books, and then just kind of branched out everywhere. I guess a little bit, a little bit of everything, which is nice because if one particular thing, like if the comic work dries up, I can go to a book. If the mm-hmm. book work dries up, I can try to pit some comics. And so I kind of try to dip a little in every pool. Well, I feel like that would that would keep your your job interesting and keep it from from getting stale for sure. You oh know? yeah, definitely. Like uh, just. This month, I've done. I'm working on a book for um, AMC. Uh, we're doing their their first book. Actually, it's going to be published by Skybound, and I'm doing a. Um, I just finished the DC Encyclopedia, the newest update for that. I'm writing all the big, lo- the large one page to four page entries, and then I'm also and now I'm back writing. Uh, let's see, I just did a small gift book about uh, a Marvel character, and I'm writing two more Mar- two Marvel kids storybooks uh, in the next two weeks. So, <laughs> are, are you at a are you at a point in your career now that you take the like that they ask you or do you just go to them with hey i have another story idea or another book idea i guess it depends it depends on the project um for comics i'm still constantly um pitching things to people or Mm -hmm. you know every once in a while um when certain editors it just depends on what editors there um like when i was working on batman strikes i would get calls to do new issues for that um um but then that editor um moved to another company and then I got calls from him at that company. So it kind of, <laughs> it just kind of de- uh, depends on who you're working with. Um, for ev- like a lot of, even some of the book publishing, I'll send out like maybe a feeler email when my schedule gets light and say, Hey, do you guys have anything coming up or, you know, but often a lot, um, 
those books will contact me and say, hey, we've got a new Batman thing or we've got like I'm doing this um, a book called Exploring Gotham that they, I was contacted for and just ask, hey, do you want to do a Batman book? And that's very hard for me to turn down. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I've turned down one Batman project in my career because I was just too busy with other projects. Uh, could, can you say what that is? Uh, yeah, it was um, I had just written the well, I actually I let's see, I did the book, a book called The Superman Files, which is a really big book for Andrews mm-hmm. McNeil. And, and that was a very big, extensive product project. And then right after that, I was asked to do I, they asked me if I wanted to do the world according to Joker or the world according to Batman for um, uh, oh, what, uh, Inside Editions is the company. I'm blanking on it there for a second. And uh, I decided to do the Joker because actually, you know, it might have been right after I did a Batman book because I remember being I needed something completely different. So mm-hmm. <laughs> writing the Joker's voices sounded refreshing for that one. And uh, but I was actually while I was doing that, they asked me if I wanted to come in and co-write the Batman one, too. And I was just too overwhelmed with work. I had another project on the horizon, but it was kind of like one of those things like, ah, I got to say no to it. <laughs> which it, it, it's it's i mean even now i look back and i'm like oh, i wish i could have done that one but mm-hmm. you know you, you, I, you can't write everything unfortunately <laughs> but that's a good problem to have here during the, the pandemic i had about two months with no work and that that's the bad problem to have so yeah <laughs> freelance yeah. one or the other they say feast or famine and that's very true uh so how do you how do you personally wrap your head around approaching the different styles of books that you're doing. So whether it's these quote unquote coffee table books or these, you know, comic book stories, how are you keeping yourself? Uh, like what's your mindset when you approach each one since they're drastically different? Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. It, it does really depend on the project. Like the, um, for instance, like if I've been writing a lot of comics and I go to the encyclopedia, it's almost like I can turn off the creative part of my brain, even though the prose still has to be creative in the way you handle it. It's more about researching and, you know, remembering all the facts and everything, which is, it's kind of nice to switch back and forth that way. So that's a different approach. Um, for some of these uh, history books, I'll really have to, I'll have to read a lot of comics if, I, if I'm not caught up. Um, like, for instance, the DC Encyclopedia, I'm, I'm caught up with a lot of titles, but not all of them. So I was like, oh, no, I need to really, I haven't looked at, a, like, I, I've been reading some of the Grant Morrison Green Lantern, but I didn't read the stuff right before it. So I have to go mm-hmm. and look at all of that because... This update covers from 2000, I think 2016, like right at the beginning of Rebirth is when it came out. So essentially all the changes in Rebirth, um, I had to kind of know. And since I was handling all the main characters, I had to research a lot of characters I haven't, I haven't read or like I would normally read, like when I'm catching up to write a Superman book, I'd go back and read all that at that point. But this kind of was a little bit of everything. So that made it a little difficult, (laughs) but yeah, for those kind of, those can be a lot of reading, um, if I'm writing in a character's voice, a lot of times I will be inspired to go um, read something. Like when I was doing Marvel um, Action Avengers, I went and I read some Iron Man, some of my favorite stuff, or I, um, I read some, uh, went back and reread a lot of the um, Christopher Priest Black uh, Panther. And kind of once I figured, once they told me, because I didn't get to choose that team, so once they told me who was on the team, I went back and read, you know, to get myself inspired or, or I'll flip through some of just my favorite Marvel comics. Like, um, and I was looking for a villain. So I grabbed some, uh, late eighties, early nineties, Spider-Man comics uh, and just kind of flipped through those until I figured out, uh, who to use. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing. The things that get you inspired, like they're, it, which is normally things from my childhood, like, or, or earlier, like for Batman, whenever I really want to be inspired of Batman, I'll go grab an old, um, 
an issue from either the Bronze Age normally. I have an emergency file of comics I've not read <laughs> that, that's, uh, that are like when I need inspiration. So I have right now it's mostly full of uh, like 1970s Justice League comics. Mm-hmm. So I'm leaving those specifically for like rainy days when I need some inspiration. <laughs> so a, a book of yours that I have is Batman A Visual History. And it came out in 2014. And since Batman is showing no signs of slowing down, how frequent do you think a book like that, or doesn't it, will will you revisit it to update it? Uh, well, the strange thing about that one is I actually have uh, already updated it, um, but it wasn't released in uh, uh, the U.S. So it was it's this weird thing where they decided to have me um, like let's see I just I just updated it maybe last year, and so we kind of filled it all in, but then they released each one as an individual book. So each, I mean, by each one, I mean each decade. So there's a, a book about the 30s and 40s, and then you have one on the 50s and one on the 60s. So they just took that book and chopped it up and made it larger. But it's in Spanish, so I can't read it because I, I'm, you know, I only, I only uh, can read and speak English, which it would be nice. I wish I would have paid attention in high school, but <laughs> so now I can't even read my own. I mean, I guess I could teach myself with a book if it's translated well. <laughs> So that was an interesting one, and I'm I'm hoping it's going to come to the U.S., but it's kind of all, I mean, all these book publishers are uh, different. Like, I've done a lot of books for Disney, and I've never seen them. So I wrote a three-series a three series prose book about the Hulk, and I've never seen one of them in print. So they're, they might be, my editor's not even sure. He thinks they might have been sold uh, overseas, but uh, <laughs> I've still never seen them. So. Wow. But yeah, those those kind of books, uh, they they do try to they tend to update them every you know five five or six years normally, um, which is which is nice. I, I mean it's it's nice for me too because I get to actually write a lot of the updates. I I think I've updated the Ultimate Guide to Spider Man at least twice now, which is, and now it's almost completely like it went from being um, written by a different author. Uh, I think Tom DeFalco wrote it. And then I did the first update, and then by the time we've done this latest update, there's very little text that's not mine at this point. But I, I can't even I couldn't even tell you which sections I wrote and which I didn't, just because <laughs> we've kept going back to that book every five years or so. Wow. So, uh, lastly, before we get to the the main event here, so when you when you wrote the Batman Strikes and Beware the Batman, they're obviously based on the animated TV series. Were there any kind of restrictions that you were that you were told when it came to any stories that you were proposing? Did you need to know episodes they're going to be doing in advance, or was it kind of a free reign? Uh, well, it, I guess it wasn't that much of a free reign. Like um, they were actually very organized when I was doing um, uh, Batman Strikes. I actually got the uh, all the episodes for the last season of it. They sent me the scripts ahead of time which is nice and was rare at that point for those books like when i did justice league adventures i had no idea what i was doing besides what i'd seen on the cartoons and so i was just kind of going from that um but we had no insider information at least i didn't i'm there i mean i know um dan slot was the reason that book happened he was the one that originally pitched uh, justice league adventures so he might have had a lot more insight or a lot more coordination with the studios but um that one uh, we didn't or at least i didn't um for beware the batman i think they did send me a lot of scripts for that one too, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, but there it was mostly like let's use characters for *Beware the Batman*. It was very much let's use characters from the show. Let's not make up anybody new, mm-hmm. which, which is kind of the way I like to do those books. I I like it when the animated books count and 
in my like if I would introduce a character, then they introduce it on the show. Well, everybody's going to take the show version over the comic version. So it's kind of like, well, let's you know, let's play in that uh, in that in the toolbox that we have there. And so yeah, that we I, we had. I mean, there was a good amount of freedom as far as plots, but um, I tried to stay within the confines of what was established on the show first and foremost. Did you have any favorite? Uh, villains that you liked writing for in Batman Strikes and then Beware the Batman? Uh, well, I've always really gravitated towards minor villains. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, right away I was, like, trying to use uh, some of the smaller characters from the from the shows. or um, And, like, I, I did a... Um, when I wrote, um, that was a Batman, like, an eight- or ten-page story in a, one of those Batman Giants that came out. It was a 2010 that that one came out and I got I, I got to focus on the calendar man and kind of tell his origin which was a really cool. big deal to me that like <laughs> mm-hmm. I would the, the Batman editor is like oh do you, what character do you want to write and I'm like God, has anybody chosen calendar man and he's like no why would anyone choose calendar <laughs> I'm like perfect so but uh, yeah what surprised me about Batman Strikes though is that when I started writing um, even as a kid I, I liked Joker's stories but not that much it was kind of like I'd rather find out I wanted to always find out more about uh, Batman's life and other characters in Gotham and I felt like right away you know we'd seen the Joker a thousand times I already got a, I've got a good handle on this character so those stories didn't do that much for me as a kid but then when I started writing the Joker I realized oh I get it like this is so much fun like, there's there's really very few characters that their dialogue's already pretty much written for them anytime Batman says something it's very easy to have Joker play off a line so I really enjoy I did a Riddler story that turned out to have Joker in it for Batman Strikes and just writing the Joker in that, I had I was making myself laugh, which I always think <laughs> is a good sign, <laughs> or a really bad sign, one of the two. I'm not sure, but so that that probably was my favorite character in that series, just to write uh, the Joker in that for some reason in that particular book. Very cool. And then beware the Batman. I mean, the whole show consisted of B-list, C-list villains oh, yeah. <laughs> in itself. So. And I had a big focus on the outsiders, so these are hitting all the notes for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, even before that series came out, I, re- I spent about a year trying to get on that book, um, be- even before it was announced. But it kept switching to different editors. They weren't sure who was going to do it, if there was going to be a comic. And then by the time it-, it made six whole issues in total, I only got to write two of them. But I was really happy because we we got to do a very interesting one uh, for that particular issue. I um, I wrote a story that's all from Alfred's point of view. And it's literally from his point of view. So it's like a first-person shooter video game where you only see what Alfred sees the entire comic. And the only times you don't is when he has flashbacks that he discovered because he's hunting for Batman and he'll he'll find a clue about um, like he'll see like Batman's utility belt. And then you get to see a couple flash panels of what Alfred's thinking is what happened and where. And so he's like following the trail the whole time. So the fact that they let me do that, um, that was that was really fun. But I think at that point it was kind of like they already knew the book was only going to be very short. And they're like, well, you know, might as well try some things with it while we're doing it. That's very cool. Did you watch the entire Beware the Batman series? Uh, I did, but I mean, uh, full disclosure, I would have anyway. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, oh no, I have to watch Batman cartoons. Probably, you know? Well, this was way, it? It's my family and act like it's work. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, was it kind of a bummer to you then, seeing where that show was headed, and then it never got picked up to continue? Uh, it, was, it was. It seemed like that show was really killed by the network. Like yeah. It was, in the worst time slots. I think it was on at three in the morning at one point when <laughs> like a friend of mine had an episode and his episode didn't air until like a three in the morning slot. But at that point it was, it was, you know, the world was kind of doing that transition to uh DVR anyway. So 
made less of a deal, I guess, for that show as it would have a couple years earlier. But it still seemed like they were really trying to hide that show. I think Cartoon Network at that point was trying to really expand more on its own properties that they had the rights to mm-hmm. rather than, you know, other ones. But, I mean... I, it's still surprising that a Batman show tanked. So, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, all that you hear, I think now, if you, if you're looking for people to talk about it, it's kind of like that. It's an underrated show, and I actually just rewatched the entire series. I'd I'd seen the first half uh, before. I hadn't finished the back half, and it came on the HBO Max as soon as it launched, and I went through and binged the whole thing. And it seemed like they really found their footing, and that that back stretch of episodes was really strong, and it was good storytelling. And it's kind of a shame that that it ended so early. And I agree with you. It's it, the network kind of throwing it all over the place. Didn't, didn't help its case at all. So that's a bummer. Yeah. I think that has a tendency. I think that a lot of these shows have a tendency to find their footing later on. If it's, especially if it's Batman, there's no way not to make a Batman cartoon and be compared to Batman, the animated series. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, all right, we've done the best show. Now you have to do a different show. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So I think, I think even the Batman, you know, the, um, that show took a long time to get find its footing, and then when they did, I think it was around maybe season, maybe the the final half of season three onward. I thought it started to get really strong, and they started kind of embracing the world they were going for rather than trying to do what came before, which was nice. Yeah. I think Beware the Batman. It did. I think most people aren't like me where they don't like to see all the minor characters as much. So I think that kind of hurt it as well. Like with you know, you're focusing on Mister Toad and Professor Pig and Magpie instead of. You know, these Batman, Penguin, and, you know, I mean, Joker, and, you know, all the main, all your main rogues gallery that people mm-hmm. are familiar with, especially because they're trying to get kids in it, too. And so, but, I mean, it also wasn't the most kid-friendly show, really. It, it did have a darker tone. It didn't seem, it didn't have those fun, um, fun moments as much, which, it was just the tone they were going for. I enjoyed it. So, and I, I mean, I really liked seeing some of the very, I remember there were extremely minor characters in there that went on too and so that was kind of like there was like silver monkey in there which was fun mm-hmm. <laughs> like all these characters i'm like does anybody else know who this is <laughs> <laughs> well and i wonder if how many people recognized that by the series end that they were building toward the outsiders too and that would have been you know that would have been a very unique approach for batman animation because they hadn't they hadn't done that yet so like that was pretty exciting stuff and just didn't work out for whatever reasons they decided I do feel like the Batman and the Outsiders is a concept that hasn't been explored enough as far as animation. I think it could really work. Um, I know Batman, uh, Brave and the Bold did an intro with the Outsiders, and it seemed like, oh man, I think this would be really appealing to kids if they really, if they did it well, because yeah. you have a, you have uh, Batman who everybody already knows and loves, and then you have these other very interesting, colorful characters. And I'm just thinking, well, if it worked for me as a kid, you know, when I was starting in comics, then I think it, I think it has a lot of potential. I think also, likewise, I think um, Legion of Superheroes has a huge amount of potential that they've not quite explored yet. Even though, I mean, they did try that in a cartoon for a little bit, and I actually wrote um, some of the comics for that one too. But I think that's another book, another concept that could be really explored more in the mainstream. I guess it's getting a little more um, uh, some. They're, they're, some of the characters are showing up in uh, Supergirl, if I remember right. But um, it's been a while since I, I haven't watched. I'm not caught up. I'm, I'm not updated on that book. I actually wrote a book about um, Flash and Supergirl that both took place in the CW universe. Mm. They're kind of like guides, but they're written like as journals, one by Flash and one by Supergirl. So I was several seasons behind when I <laughs> before I even wrote that, and so I had to binge watch all those episodes, and I haven't watched it since. <laughs> so it was too much. Uh, too much at one time for all those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> all 
So, well, it's the time is coming for another Batman animated series. Like, it, we, I think we're at seven years or six years or so since Beware the Batman went off the air. So, uh, it, we should be having one soon. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, I saw there is the um, the kid based. I don't know if you heard about that. The, the kid based, uh, like, it's like a cars approach that are about <laughs> Batmobiles that's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's coming out now that my kids are too old for it. So, now I have no excuse why I'm watching it. But <laughs> They'll be walking in on you watching it instead yeah. of you walking in on them watching it. But, and oh, I, well. I mean, it's completely different, but I've actually been really enjoying the um, the Harley Quinn show. Yeah. Uh, that, that's been a lot of fun. It seems like I mean, that's our only Batman animation right now. <laughs> yeah. That's one I, I, it took me, the first episode I started watching it and I, I was like, well, they're really, it, it seemed like a, um, a high schooler who was very excited about getting away with using all the swear words that he knew. But then, <laughs> but then I thought like right away, it, it started being legitimately funny and, and there's a lot of heart in that show. And I, I, I was very surprised by that. I, I'm, I'm excited to watch the, I think what third season of that is coming out. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. That was when I didn't, I wasn't, when it started, I wasn't there week to week. And so kind of like you, I watched an episode and was like, okay, I'll keep watching. Then watched another. And then I slowly got into where I was able to binge all of season one and all of season two. And that's where I felt like that one too. It really found its footing and took off. And so it's, that's an exciting show. And I like it, their humor because yes, some of the, uh, you know, the swearing and stuff, but it's like, it's in good fun. They're laughing with the DC universe, not at the DC universe. And I, I can appreciate you know, approaches like that. So I think that's a strong show. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm, I normally, I mean, I don't have any problem with it in general. It just seemed like it was gratuitous at first. And then when you realize what they're doing, when you finally get, yeah. like, okay, there's, there actually is hard on that under this. There's, you know, this, I thought it was the best um, exploration of the poison Ivy, uh, Harley Quinn relationship I've ever, uh, I've seen or read so far. So I thought that was, because a lot of times I worry about that relationship too. Is it seems like it's done sometimes for like just appeasing um, fanboys rather than doing an actual uh, a realistic approach to a relationship. And surprisingly, this absurd cartoon seemed to capture that realistic mm-hmm. approach. It was nice. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Exciting to see where that's going to head. So let's. I think you've kind of hit on your history with Batman. Can you can you kind of tell us what? what was the initial spark for Batman? Like what really got you into Batman growing up? And then the same thing with uh, the Ninja Turtles. Uh, for me, it was, I kind of, I mean, I was right in that sweet spot. There's that, um, that saying I love, I forget who it's attributed to, or it's uh, um, the golden age of sci-fi is 12. So whatever you read or saw when you're around that age, that's going to stick with you forever. It's never going to get better than that. And so for me, it was the um, 89 movie and then of Batman and then discovering um, right away. I discovered uh, Legend of the Dark Knight, which had because, you know, under uh, Denny O'Neill, the, all the Bat books, the uh, they that was a great idea to publish this brand new comic at the same time as a movie to really get the new viewers. And they did it again with um, uh, Batman. When Batman Returns came out, they launched uh, Shadow of the Bat at the same time. And so these, these marketing moves really worked on me because I picked up these books. I, I got to start the first issue, and then they just had these great quality stories in there. So I think t- it was titles like that that really got me um, into the entire Batman universe. And then um, I went and read I, Nightfall came out not too long after, and that got me reading everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, like I said, I, I discovered Batman and the Outsiders even earlier, even before um, back when I was a little kid and had, you know, the superpowers action figures kind of thing. And, uh, so once I 
I started the DC did a new Outsider series in the '90s, which got me even more into the DC universe, and so it kind of spread from there for the Batman uh, fandom. And then Turtles, it was the same kind of thing. Like Turtles was the cartoon hit. Um, I actually was when I was in second grade, I started um, uh, taking karate, so I was already very into martial arts, and I did that all the way through high school. And um, actually, which is fun because my daughter's in second grade now, and she's I'm teaching her karate, which is fun. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, well, I actually, my job all through high school was teaching karate at two different schools where, which is a much better, uh, job than, you know, than my friends had to do at the time. So that was nice. I've kind of gone my whole life trying to avoid real jobs. <laughs> Work it out. I'm sure that I'm sure there's a reckoning coming, but, um, but yeah, so I was always into martial arts. And then when the, um, the, like the Ninja Turtles were kind of, when those comics came out, it was, it was tough to get a hold of them right when they were originally released. Especially mm-hmm. if you're a kid with no like um, concept of where a comic store was, because I was I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, a very small town, and um, but you know a buddy of mine had some of the issues, and so I was reading some of the old Eastman Laird, and I really got into that. And the animated series came out, and I was still uh, like, I just like absolutely loved everything about it. I was little enough, and I collected all the uh, as many toys as I could get, and then uh, it was kind of that. And then the movie came out, and it, you know, but I was never really, I think I was maybe getting a little too old for it when the movie came out, or at least that version of it. I was still into the comics more at that point. Because um, at that point, I, I, I started to really uh, dive into comic books in general more. And so that was kind of a connection. And then, yeah, other than that, then uh, the other thing that really got my attention as a kid was um, Dick Tracy, where I mm-hmm. fell in love with that movie. And it was, and I went back and unlike um, libraries today where kids have so much access to graphic novels there was nothing in my library except we had um i think some doonesbury and <laughs> i read a, and then they had a, a lot of these uh, dick tracy compilations and i just devoured those those were those are a, a big deal to me so that's still one of the only properties i've not got to write that childhood me really wants to work on i think dick tracy and thundercats are my two <laughs> the, the two things that no one else wants to work on i don't think but i really want to work on those books but it will happen it will happen so you mentioned actually that the legends of the dark knight uh series and i've brought that series up a lot on this show so far of what a what a great line of batman stories and reflecting back on it now of its initial run 200 plus issues and how many really good stories are in that legends of the dark knight uh series like oh there's so many good ones yeah, I was actually, that ended right about the time I was getting into comics, so I was really bummed that I didn't get to write one of those. That's one that they were even letting some, like, newer writers work on, like, two-parters near the end, and I was kind of like, ah, oh, but didn't get to make that happen at that point. <laughs> but yeah, especially, I think, I want to say maybe about the first 50 or so are probably about my favorites uh, mm-hmm. for those. Um, there's just, there's so many really good stories in there. I mean, those first, the first 20 issues are probably some of my favorite comics ever made. Uh, I just love all four of those series. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you say the the first twenty, and instantly in my head is like, oh, Gothic, Prey, Venom. Those three were all within the first twenty issues of of that line, and I think those are some of the most popular of it all. Uh, yeah. Venom and Prey, especially. Oh um, yeah, I, I think those are great. And then uh, what's the uh, Shaman or whatever the first yeah. the Denny Neal one, and Denny is probably my all time favorite comic writer. Um, mm-hmm. Just out of everything, I've. I loved that series as a kid. And it, I mean, it ties in so well with, um, 
I think that series and year one just it's like they tie in perfectly together. And then his the man who fell story that he did as well. Mm-hmm. And there's also um, a Two Face Annual that came out around that time. Chris Sprouse drew that's just also perfectly in with that new year one continuity and yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff was really it really blew my mind when I was young. And I just I still really love it. and I've I mean every time you know I, I love Denny's work all the way from the um, from his original uh, early work on Batman and. He, he, he's my favorite writer for Iron Man as well. My favorite Green Arrow stuff is all him. So he's, yeah, they were, and that was another thing too. When he came back his second time when he was the editor, then just uh, the continuity under, you know, under in the Denny O'Neill offices was fantastic where they hired um, Anton first to do actual comic book designs for Gotham City. So there was a real strong sense of continuity between all the books at that point, like with that Gotham City Police Department that, is it's been used i think almost up until pretty much today so it's kind of like i know you know old wayne tower and all that imagery mm-hmm. it was always consistent between the books at that point which i really i really appreciated it felt like um why batman the animated series was so special because there were these really good stories but it was all in a consistent world and i think that was one of the things that he really worked towards well there i remember i would hear stories of him he would just have apparently like hour-long conversations with his writer just talking about you know like the philosophies of Batman, which I think is something that comics it's, it's missing today is a lot of people just having these obsessive conversations with your editor when everything's been kind of replaced with emails. So it's, yeah, you, you kind of miss that like back and forth and where ideas can spring from. You can still do the same thing at conventions and, you know, but I think there is something missing. And then artists and writers don't talk as much as they used to at that point either. Um, I've made it a point, like when we were working on Batman turtles, um, John and I, uh, John Samariva and I, we were, um, we would, he was in Australia, so all our conversations were on like private messaging through Twitter for some reason, even though I'm barely on Twitter. <laughs> that's a, that's where we ended up having most everything. So we would shoot ideas off each other and kind of uh, really, we got to have a nice, strong working relationship, and which I think really benefited the book in the long run. Well, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and let, let's hop into that then. Perfect uh, segue. So where did your, this just seems like a, a dream idea of doing a story that you know has Batman and the Ninja Turtles in it. It can hit because I, I don't even think that it's just like one generation is would like this idea. It kind of seems like generations before mine, generations after mine. This is just kind of a a home run idea. So when did the idea come into your head? How did it come about? How did did somebody come to you? Did you go to them? Can you tell us the the beginning of this idea? Well, the the original, um, the first Batman Turtle story was the the James Tinian series, uh-huh. um, and that was, uh, and I remember just being like so disappointed when I heard about that. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, I want to read this, but this is like a dream project. I really would love to do this. I'm one of the only people that's done both Turtles and Batman at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, there, I mean, there's several people who've done it, but I was, you know, the one actively doing both at that point. So I was, I was like, man, you know, very disappointed I didn't get to do it. And then when I found out, um, actually, we were working on um, the Amazing Adventures for it was TMNT Amazing Adventures. And um, I'd been doing that series um, for a while. And before that, there was um, uh, New Animated Adventures was the book I was working on for them. So I was very familiar with the 2012 version of the Turtles and... There was the you know the Nickelodeon animated, and that's just such a great classic version of the Turtles. It's kind of, it really combines. It's still my favorite version today. It combines all the um, the really great stuff from the comics, and even some of the the 
um, stuff from the original TV show, and it kind of combines all the good stuff and leaves out all the bad stuff. And it just turned out to be a great, a great series overall. And I was already watching it, and before I, and when I actually um, pitched my first stories to it, I, I had approached IDW and said, "Hey, I'm writing Beware the Batman, Kind Do Turtles." Um, this is, you know, another thing I'd really love to do. And that kind of started my working relationship with uh, Bobby Kernow over there, who's my editor. And we just, uh, when they, I was told Batman Turtles, they're going to do a Batman Turtles, but IDW is going to publish this one where DC published the first one. Mm-hmm. And I said, would you like to pitch for it? And I said, yeah. And um, originally, actually, it was, I think um, they had originally thought it might have been, um, they wanted to do a Justice League um, Turtles crossover. So I wrote a big pitch about Justice League crossing over with the Turtles, and it was the animated Justice League. And and they said, oh, we, we really like this, but they're going a different direction now. And I'm like, ah. And I thought I was over. I thought I was gonna get, wasn't going to get it, you know. And so I was going on to other projects. And then I, um, they said, oh, no, we're going to do Batman the Anime Series. And I was like, oh, that's even better because yeah. it's more down to earth. The Turtles are very much street-level characters. And, you know, Batman's a very street-level character. So it's a great natural combination where I don't think Justice League is quite – the right fit is my, I mean, I'm still very happy with that pitch. So it's, that would be great if we could ever do that one of these days. <laughs> but um, it, it, this would, is definitely a better place to start no matter what. I um, mean, especially in the, you know, the Paul Dini, Bruce Tim animated universe. And so it was kind of like, I pitched some things. I didn't know if it was going to get um, chosen. There, I was told there were other people pitching as well. So I wasn't sure, but I, you know, I only had about a week to do it. And so I kind of threw it through the story together and, you know, crossed my fingers and turned out they liked it. I got, I was getting notes from DC back on it. And then at that point I was kind of just approaching it. Like, I think I have this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, it, yeah. And, and then we uh, originally were supposed to do five issues and it was a um, issue one sold well. So they expanded it to six, which was nice. Uh, made it a little tough to do that sixth issue <laughs> <laughs> because we, I'd already finished scripting issue. I think, I think I was already done with the whole series at that point, at least issue four when they said, Hey, um, we're going to do issue six. And I was, I'll, well, so I had, I, I, my thoughts were, well, I could go back and rewrite it and we could just expand it. There's some scenes I had to cut out because I, we didn't have enough room and I could expand on those scenes and kind of add some new plots for a single issue and kind of put it in the middle. And they're like, Oh, you already got these scripts already done. They're already approved. And when they have to be approved by Nickelodeon, IDW and DC, that can be a process. So uh, they, they said, well, let, let's just do a standalone special. And then I, I came up with the idea for let's do it um, in the new Batman Adventures style. And it'll take place later on um, for the Batman cast, where for the Turtles, it's pretty. It was, um, I can't remember now. It's been a while now. <laughs> I think the Turtles, it was even less time or more time. I can't remember now. But <laughs> their time their timetables were very different. When at the And I had it all, I had to write all this all these timelines out and figure it all out. But so we got to do. It was fun because that way we got to have Nightwing and we got to have the, um, the Tim Drake Robin uh, in that special sequel at the end. And then the, uh, the coloring and the way they handled it just looked perfect, like the red skies of the new Batman Adventures. And it was just like a perfect match. So that was that was nice to see, too. That was a, a really fun surprise just as a as a fan, because I like I don't remember the timeline of when I found out that there was a sixth issue. And it seemed as if like, oh, there's another one. And then the the front cover, it was like, wait, that's the new Batman Adventures. But he already wrapped up this up. How are they going to do this? And then I think it's it can definitely work as a fun standalone, but it works perfectly in continuity, too. So I think 
uh, hats off to you that like for making that adjustment. And I think, I think it works really well and you can totally appease fans of, Hey, we got night weekend there and there's a massive, uh, fan club for Tim Drake Robin. So that's really cool. You got to bring him in too. So I, I think that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of fun. And I think that kind of works together kind of seamlessly. So, uh, so you said that the pitch was about a, it took you about a week. You had about a week to put the pitch together. So as far as the scripts, how long did that take you initially the first five issues? Uh, well, it kind of, I guess it probably depend on, I'm, I'm wondering if I was, it's been, uh, several years now. So I'm wondering if there's probably other things I was working on at the same time too. Um, I think I was able to clear my schedule mostly to do these. So for on average, it takes me about uh, uh, somewhere between a week to two weeks to do a, a script. Um, and really only because for a, a project like this, I'll kind of obsess over a little bit more um, mm-hmm. than I need to and kind of really go back and redo dialogue. And if something I don't think is working, try to redo it. Um, I think some of the issues had to be a little faster than others. But for the most part, I really tried to uh, concentrate on this. I ended up changing a few things in the process. I gave um, Joker and Harley a little bit more room than needed, even for the story, just because it was so much fun to write those two together. And uh, and then, oh, and as I was saying, and for that issue six, um, the one thing I did have to change about issue five was we had, I added a teaser about how the Scarecrow gets his new costume in the new Batman Adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, because they never really explained how the scarecrow went from the original design in Batman the Animated Series to this really like hangman type looking uh, creepier character in the new Batman Adventures. So we actually have um, he's inspired because he on his he actually saw the Krang uh, during his trips through all these portals that we had to set up through that. So he knew something bad was coming and, and Scarecrow was actually preparing the whole time for it. And that's why he chose a darker look because he wanted something um, he needed it was going to need it was going to need a new approach for him uh, to deal with. So it was kind of it was fun to have that little like here's a little continuity thing, you know, for the fans. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard for you to narrow down the cast? Oh, uh, well, for the villains? Well, I, I guess I, well, I was thinking almost of just between Batman and Turtles, but yeah, I guess the villains too. Being Batman, obviously, the Ford Ninja Turtles, obviously, but then you start to go outside of that of because then in your head you could think, well, wait, there's Batgirl and then there's Robin. Okay, yeah. which Robin? Okay, which villains for on the Ninja Turtles side? Okay, Splinter, but how much Splinter? April, Casey Jones, uh, some of their villains. What are we doing with that? IDW or not IDW? I'm sorry, Nickelodeon actually wanted um, April and they wanted Splinter in there, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't have that much a role for Splinter. I think I had a gag I wanted to do with Splinter. Um, where the characters are seeing him for the first time of this talking rat and it's kind of, you know, off-putting. And I think, I want to say it was Nickelodeon that suggested, can we have April in there and can we have her with the, the Batgirl fight scene? Uh, so I knew that I wanted to have Batgirl and Robin in there for more of a team aspect from, you know, we have the four turtles. I thought it would play better to have some, uh, you know, a team from Batman's world too. Yeah. And so... And, and that led to some of my favorite scenes um, when they first, when the turtles meet the Batman characters for the first time. I actually have the original, um, John, let me k- keep one of the pages. And the page I have is where um, Michelangelo is putting his hand through the portal at the first time, for the first mm-hmm. time. And he's like, and they're like, what do you feel? And he's like, I feel a uh, gargoyle, <laughs> really angry gargoyle. And then Batman's fist comes through and punches him because he was feeling Batman's face through the whole, uh, for that scene. So actually, I have that page, which I'm I'm very happy with. <laughs> so that actually, joke plays out really well. 
Yeah, I only have the inks because um, John actually still has the pencils in Australia, but the inks uh, were done here in um, in the States, so I was able to get that, but I haven't got the, the pencils from John yet. Supposedly, he's keeping them. I hope he still has them. But it was either that or I was going to ask for the... Uh, well, I told him it was either that page or the... Because um, he was hesitant. He knew that he could sell that page for a good amount, I'm sure. <laughs> but I said, either that or where we do the parody of the theme song. And he was like, okay. You can have this one. <laughs> that that two page sequence where we do the opening of Batman the Animated Series, um, where and I, I just couldn't believe how well John matched the credits. It was just fantastic, and it looked exactly like except we have um, Michelangelo in there, you know, messing up the credits essentially, or you know the intro. But uh, so the, and those pages that was originally going to be a three page sequence, but um, I didn't think anybody was going to let me do it, so I trimmed it down to two. But again, that's one of the times where it was good that John and I were in communication. I talked to him. I said, hey, can you do this at eight panel page? You know, that's that's a lot of heavy lifting. We're already going really fast on this book. I mean, he was John's a workhorse. He was he was going uh, really fast on a book where he, you know, and same when we worked on Avengers together, the deadlines are tight and he puts in a lot of detail and there's a lot of characters. And so <laughs> asking for eight panel pages was going to be tricky. But the idea was to do it like a um, more like a storyboard with uh uh, four tiers of two panels on each tier and so he just he did that perfectly and luckily he was game to do it so he was actually very excited about it and you could tell so <laughs> so that was initially your idea to have that in the story oh uh, yeah that was probably the first that was actually no there was a second thing i thought of plotting the whole series i was like oh we got to do that you know with the intro the first one was actually um the first scene i thought about was when the turtles are in a van with and they're with Batgirl and they're like um we put in the turtle power theme or like they're like listening to like um music or whatever and they're all and, and like Michelangelo is dancing right away and Batgirl's like what is this and then when they get to the destination she's like way more into it than anybody else so that was the first gag I thought of but originally well, it was gonna be with Wonder Woman for Justice League um and then that was so that was the first thing and the second thing I really wanted to do a, a parody of the intro I don't know Maybe because I just reread this, um, and I don't know if I picked up on that. The the music they're listening to is a play on the Vanilla Ice song, and it's going that going that go. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> we weren't allowed to use the real lyrics, so I yeah. had to make out uh, the Ninja Turtles Batmanish character Wingnut, or I mean the um, yeah the uh, Wingnut and Screwloose. We kind of we used them a little, which would be they actually had just debuted on the 2012 show right before that. And it was a complete Batman um, parody on that particular episode. So it kind of worked even better for our favor or in our favor. That's great. Yeah. His back to the, the animated series recreation. I think that's a showstopper for me with this book. I think it's funny. It's, it's nostalgic for all of us that are massive fans of that show. But then, I mean, who, who better than Mikey to do this? And then even some of the, I mean, it is, it's frame by frame matches perfectly. I mean, that's such a cool and great job. And then especially with the ending going up and the lightning strikes and it scares them and uh, that just plays out really well. That's, that's a really cool part of this, of this story. Yeah, so we, for fun with it, I was actually worried that we were putting, cause I put in a lot of Easter eggs on that. Um, mm-hmm. But actually I, on my, um, my blog there, it's at MatthewKManning.com. If you go back a ways when it was released, um, I actually go through and reveal all the Easter eggs that we hid in the in the comic itself. 
And what was funny about that was that Nickelodeon's like, okay, could you hide some more Turtles-related Easter eggs? I'm like, yes, I thought I was overdoing it, but okay, because they wanted to be even as far as, like, I think right after that, um, they pop out of the sewer, um, Robin and, uh, yeah, I think Robin and... um, Batman and Batgirl? What do you say? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember... There's a scene where they push out of the sewer, and it's the exact. Um, it's an homage to the um, movie poster of the turtles, mm-hmm. and the tagline was like, "Like this, this ain't no cartoon" or something like that. And so we actually had like, you know, we, Robin actually says that line to uh, Michelangelo as because he's still messing around when they're on the on the way to the uh, the hideout of the big villain at the end. So very cool. Uh, yeah, some of your other Easter eggs that you have in here that I noticed of, obviously at the very beginning, the nod to uh, Batman 89, I want oh, you to tell your friends about me. What are you? I'm like super hungry, you know, if there's a pizza place number, and it's Mikey. I think that's a funny gag. And the Eastman and Laird TMNT cover nod. I, I was So I got some of these from your uh, the director's cut issue, oh, yeah. and you'd, you'd written a uh, a piece at the end of that. And it took me the longest time to figure out where this nod to the Eastman and Laird cover was. And I don't know if you can remember offhand of there's a panel that's got Batgirl, Batman and Robin on a, on a rooftop. Right. And, and there's I, a, I think it's supposed to be the fourth turtle. Yes. <laughs> okay. I think I found it then I was like, Oh, I bet, I bet that's it because I know the, the, well, I assumed the cover that you're, referring to and so i was looking and i thought it was with the turtles and I'm like oh no he's doing it with batman and batgirl and robin very cool yeah we did a lot of i think even right there right at the beginning scene there's captions and um i think there there's even one that's like a nod to the um to Raphael being rude from the yes <laughs> you know the, that that that's uh written by um what's his name the guy that did two and a half men <laughs> chuck laurie yeah, that was his claim to fame that he wrote the Ninja Turtles theme song. So, um, do you? I hadn't even asked you yet. I, do you have a favorite turtle? Like not just from that you wrote, but like, uh, do you have a favorite when you'd watch the series? For that, it's it depends on the incarnation. Uh-huh. So, like from the old cartoon, I love uh, Raphael the best. He was always my favorite. Um, and then, but in the new cartoon, I like Leo the best. In the comics, I've always kind of gravitated towards Leo too. Mm-hmm. Um, where where um, uh, Raph in the comics is more uh, almost like a Wolverine personality, or like he, he kind of has that same. He's in that same category as Wolverine or the Thing, where it's this kind of you know trudging along kind of category. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to like. It kind of falls into that. Where I like the um, the smart Alec from the from the cartoon with the original. So that's what that's what appealed to me about that character. Um, so yeah, and I think it just kind of depends on. Each time it's the, you know, what particular incarnation each one has a, you know, I have a different soft spot for. So, but I mean, so they're definitely all fun. I mean, there, there's a lot of fun in writing all of them. And like I did a lot of even the new Rise of the Turtles. Um, and so that's a completely different feel, very sillier feel, but it's still all the characters are have been super fun to write on that. So it, it's kind of, yeah, there, there's always something really appealing about these, the characters, even from one incarnation to another. Could you hear these incarnations in your head as you're writing for them? Uh, yeah, and I think one um, particular in these, I kind of um, absorb the cartoon voices when I'm writing in a cartoon voice. The only time, like when I write um, 
in comic book versions of like Batman, I don't. People, I've asked, been asked that question a lot. Oh, do you do you hear Michael Keaton or do you hear you know uh, Kevin Conroy in your head? And I don't. I only hear the Batman that I read as a kid. So this voice that it's already been developed in my head, I don't hear an actor's voice for that. But the only where that's not true is um, the Joker. Whereas it's always Mark Hamill when I'm writing the Joker. It's just like <laughs> no matter what, I'll sit sit at my computer and I read the dialogue in a terrible my uh, Mark Hamill uh, voice, you know, and that kind of thing. So it's it, that's one that really I hear all the time. But when I'm writing in the um, cartoons, sometimes I'll even watch a little bit of a show before I write the script, which um, just to kind of get some of the voices. Especially when I was first doing Rise of the Turtles, we had. Um, it was so new, the show hadn't aired yet, and I was writing this miniseries ahead of time, and they'd sent me some clips, so I had to really watch those over and over and over until I felt like what that character would feel like, and I read all these scripts. I think there was maybe over 20 scripts that they'd sent me, but they were shorter, and so I just kept reading those over and over until I finally, the new versions of the characters clicked. So it, it, it can be different for each project. So with... Let's transition to like your your working with uh, Joe Samariva. So I think a lot of us who are we think that we know how comics are done. We have no idea how comics are made. So how is the relationship between the the author and the artist, and specifically this project with you? How was it working with him, especially when he's in Australia? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that it's always funny because I I never. Um, know what time he's going to be on like any kind of social media or anything and so it's always you know it, it, it's it was difficult when we needed immediate conversation but we we're we we're pretty good because we've so we, we got our we actually did a little bit of um the amazing adventures together without knowing each other at all it was kind of one of those things where my script was sent to him we never spoke um when we got on batman turtles we purposely started talking and you know wanted to you know figure it out i wanted to know if there was anything he was particularly you know looking forward to kind of thing we actually i forgot something in the script for issue one which still bothers me because i never put it in the script but john and i talked about it and then both of us forgot it again and so it never made it into the actual comic um i want to do a little bit of foreshadowing about who the villain was um i think it was supposed to be an issue two when all everybody's fighting in um central park um in in the real central park there's actually an alice in wonderland themed um statue area and I wanted to set the fight there as foreshadowing for our main villain at the end. And that never ended up happening, which still bothers me. But, <laughs> but yeah, as far as the process goes, it's really just me um, writing. I My personal process is I number 1 to 20, if it's a 20-page script, on a, um, a document. And then write a couple sentences for each page um, to pace it out. A lot of times before that, there'll be like long paragraphs where I'm figuring out the whole story. I'll like write a long, uh, you know, synopsis in my head as I'm figuring out or just notes. Um, but for this, uh, I did one to 20. I figured it out what, you know, goes where. And that kind of can change when I'm in the script writing process. But then I just do the, I went right to script. And then it was, it would have to be, for this project, it had to be approved first by IDW. And then they sent it to Nickelodeon and DC and they had to prove it too. And so there was, I would get notes back from that. And actually for this one, it was really less notes than I was prepared for. We really didn't have that many. Um, I got, I've gotten way more notes on regular issues of like Rise of the Ninja Turtles or something. But like DC was pretty much um, supportive of every decision we did all, all the way across the board, which was really nice. Because if DC and IDW would start 
fighting each other, that could be a problem, you know, trying to please everybody. But everybody was kind of on, you know, the right track. I think they knew that I was really into both these properties. So I think that helped. <laughs> but then, yeah, so John just goes from that and he um, would just draw the script and he would send me questions or, hey, can we do this? I have, you know, and I always, um, I'm, I'm, since I went to art school, I'm very descriptive in um, how I describe my panels. I'll say, this is shot from this angle and, you know, uh, you can see this character in the foreground, this character in the background, and I'm very, I'm specific, but I always say if the artist has a better idea to go with it, uh, I'm, you know, if, as long as it's going to tell a story, if it, especially if it's going to be more dynamic than what I'm picturing in my head, then, you know, by all means, but a lot of times John would check in with me if he had some, something like that. Um, and then it was kind of, I mean, it was pretty much just us chatting about some of the things, or he'd send me pages and I get really excited, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's like, look at this drawing I just did. I'm like, I love that, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just kind of seeing, um, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I loved pretty much everything John did for the whole book. There was, it was, he, he, he added a real interesting dynamic to the characters. Um, it, it was very much a good in between of the Batman the Animated Series style and the Turtle style, but still John style. So it all just really worked. And John, he he was talking about how it wasn't even, um, if I'm remembering it right, how it wasn't even really a conscious effort. It was just kind of like applying his style to it, which turned out to be the perfect choice. So, <laughs> so that's something that I always kind of find interesting for sure. Is does the the writer do? do they accommodate the artist? Does the artist accommodate the, the writer? Is it kind of a me in between? And then as well as how descriptive are scripts. And I mean, every, it just kind of seems like everybody has their own process. Would you say that uh, how you worked with him is kind of the same as how you work, you've worked with others for, for comics? Uh, yeah. For the most part, mine, um, I try to, uh, when I get to work with an artist longer, my scripts become less descriptive. Mm -hmm. So, if it's someone who I really um, know how they're going to handle it. And it's, I mean, first off, I, I, you know, if it's someone I worked with before, I start to trust them more and trust their, and their storytelling decisions more because uh, the storytelling is the number one thing. It's more important than if this panel looks pretty, or, you know, or if it's, even if it's dynamic, if it, if you have to tell the story first. And so if I work with, if I, and I've been lucky to work with lots of really good storytellers. And so, if I know that they know what they're doing when it comes to storytelling and almost everybody does really, I mean, that's on a, that's on a, you know, professional level working at DC or something, they'll, they have a good grasp of storytelling. Um, so once I see how more, it's more about how I see how they're, how they particularly like to tell a story, then we can start working with, um, I can start working towards their strengths. I can leave some of the script a little bit more open. Um, when John and I went to work on Marvel action Avengers, we did the first six issues together um, by the time I, I didn't even know it was going to be John. So those first three issues are not written specifically towards for John. They're just written for specifically towards whatever artist is going to be on the book, you know, kind of like, but then when we did the second story arc, which is called the Ruby Egress, And, um, uh, we had John, I knew it was going to be a John. So I, I was like, Oh, well, we're doing some, let's do some giant monsters and some crazy old Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, you know, these weird creatures from the old monster books um, from Marvel in the fifties. And that was just like perfect for John. You know, I, I started leaving things more open, like, you know, about his, how he's going. He probably wouldn't tell you that I left it very open for him, but for me, it was. More <laughs> <open>. <laughs> and, uh, and we kind of like, and he knows if he's got, there's several things. Um, he knows that it, if he's got a better, 
a better idea. He's always free to explore that, you know, or always was when we were working together. And so hopefully we'll get to work together again. We actually did a, we have a three page thing. That's really fun for the fans. One day, I can't talk about it yet. Hopefully he'll draw it, but we'll see. One day we might do it as just a little fun thing online. But, uh, yeah, he, now, now he's working with uh, Tom Taylor on a creator-owned book that looks it looks like it's going to be so much fun. So I'm very excited about that. I think um, Tom especially is doing some of the best stuff at DC today. So mm-hmm. very excited to see those two guys together. Very cool. Please, if not that I'll be uh, number one priority, but make it be known this was the thing you're talking about if that three – issue or a three page thing ends up coming to light. So I'd be like, Oh, this is what you're talking about. Okay, cool. <laughs> it'll be, I think it'll be pretty self-explanatory if it ever comes to light because it, it's relating to what we're talking about. But other than that, I can't okay. say too much. <laughs> All right. I'll keep my eyes open. So for, for a project like this, how long, how long does it take, I guess, from scripts initially being sent to, to John, I apologize. I think I said Joe at first. Uh, until the final issue is drawn, uh, I'm I can't even remember how long because th- there was a longer note process for this. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you know everything, and and I think I don't I can't even speak to how many notes John was getting. Um, if he was getting notes, even I know when we worked on Marvel, he would get specific notes about how this character needs to be this part about this character needs to be changed. Um, you know, we need to change this costume slightly off or something like that. So I'm not sure how much notes he got from um, from DC or IDW, but there is there you know there were more people that had to approve every single stage. So I couldn't even um, speak to exactly how long it took. Um, I mean, it's normally a couple months um, by the time everything you know um, mm-hmm. comes through. Although and there's sometimes um, holdups that I even I'm not aware of uh, we're, I'm doing Marvel action Avengers right now. And I think I wrote the last, the last issue was supposed to be out in December of last year. And I have no idea why that didn't happen. <laughs> so, cause this was even before the pandemic, a lot of issues. So whatever issues were happening, I don't know what stage it was held up at, but the issue still hasn't come out yet. And uh, so it's one of those things where it's like, I wrote a long time ago and I have to re- remind myself what it's about when they send me like, Oh, here's the final. It, um, I just a couple of weeks ago I got sent the final. Um, they'll send me a digital copy of uh, everything colored and lettered, and say if you have any notes. And I, so I went through it, but I had to go look at my old script because I—it's been a long time, <laughs> and a lot of projects have been in between. So <laughs> that's the one thing about um, comics is that it, you're constantly doing new things. Hopefully, you know, and uh, so it's you're—it's hard to remember uh, specific details about certain comics just because mm-hmm. you've done so many since then, you know, or so many. I do a lot of these little projects too, like the little, like um, some of these children's books, and there's such a quick turnaround on those um, that it's another one of those things. It's like, oh wait, when was I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> so what, once a book is released, I guess what is like, what's your, what's the creative team's involvement at that point, or isn't there any? Uh, not it just. I guess depends. Some people, I mean, there's some um, companies that do book tours and things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we our book wasn't at that level, so we weren't given a book tour or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, we sold very well. We were on the, um, I think issue one was definitely on the top ten um, of when it came out, and we actually got a second printing before it even hit um, it hit press. I think IDW had underestimated how well it was going to sell. Um, I don't know if anybody knew that. I mean, that was even before they read it, so we can't even take the 
you know, we can't even take credit for it. <laughs> it's just the idea of animated Batman mixing with turtles. I don't think people realize. I don't think people uh, still at DC don't quite grasp how important the the animated Batman show is to a lot of people. Um, I mean, otherwise, I think there would be a monthly comic. I'm glad there right now is the um, Adventure Continues book that's out. Yeah, I can't understand why there's not one all the time. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just feel like that's a that's a world that just it, it lends itself to new readers, and I think DC needs some um, all ages books, but true all ages, and that's something I, I really try to focus on when I'm writing these kind of books. I don't write for uh, kids in particular. I literally try to do all ages, which is very it's a, a tricky tightrope. But like, I mean, if you're an adult, you can very much enjoy an episode of Batman the Animated Series. They showed us how to do it, and it's kind of like following that roadmap. Following, okay, this is how you can show a very poignant scene or which we don't really have any of those in Batman turtles because it's, you know, <laughs> a big in your face adventure, which, um, but like, you know, they, they show how to do violence without actually showing violence. A lot of, you know, classic film techniques, um, like from kind of like that Hitchcock school of, of, you know, make the reader imagine things more than they actually see. And so I think there's a lot of those tricks that you can do. And when I work on a book like this, I really want it to be, I want I want to enjoy it personally, like if I was just picking it up on the shelf, but I also want my kids to enjoy it. And I think we came close to that with Batman Turtles. It's probably one of the closer I've closer experience I've had to get to that goal. I don't know if we were quite there, but it was you know, it was very fun. <laughs> I think from my uh viewpoint, you definitely accomplished it. So I am thirty-three and my niece at the time she was uh, eight years old and she wanted to read comics and there was no hesitation that I just get her. Cause I mean, I got to get her Batman and she'd watch some of this, you know, version of the Ninja Turtles. And so it was like, this is perfect. And she read it. I mean, I gave it to her for Christmas. She opened it right away and she read the whole thing and she loved it. So you hit an adult kid and a kid kid <laughs> with it. So <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. That was the goal. We actually speaking on that, a poignant, um, topic real quick i was for that sixth issue i was actually um my original concept for that was instead of doing the new adventures um that i'd actually pitched an idea okay can we do a standalone um i wanted to do kind of this standalone story of bat of bruce wayne exploring the ninja turtles world and realizing there's a bruce wayne in that dimension whoa Uh, and it was going to be this kind of like a perchance to dream episode of batman the animated series it was going to be a very much or it's a wonderful life of seeing what life would have been like for Bruce where he doesn't become Batman in this world. And that was, I was really hoping to hit those kind of uh, notes on there and really making it more of a, a quieter little story. But you know, that that's not really the direction anybody wanted to go. And I think Nickelodeon was uncomfortable with there being a Bruce Wayne in the turtles universe all the time. <laughs> so it's not like they would just cross over like that, that universe would, uh, he would technically still be there, you know, after the story was over. So that was kind of nixed right out of the gate. <laughs> That's too bad. Well, I'd imagine that now with that that series done, so I mean, I kind of feel like sky's the limit on keep keep that version going in some way. And I don't know. I'd I'd read it. I'd buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. We actually were really hoping they would do a second series, but it just didn't seem to be in the cards. They did really well with the um, second and third for the in the DC universe version. And I think that was kind of where they they wanted their focus to be. I'm not sure if you know what the deal were. I know we it was a very good uh, 
we had a very uh, nice selling book. I know it sold well, so I don't, that wasn't the issue. I just don't, I don't know if a lot of these crossovers also need a lot of negotiation and there can be, mm-hmm. you know, and so uh, I think that might have been, it was all kind of like uh, more of that side of things where we didn't have a second uh, crossover. Because if, if we do, if we ever did, I would really, I actually wanted to very much explore some of the characters in the Batman animated series world that are more on the mutant side of things. Mm-hmm. So, characters that we didn't get to do, like Man Bat, and uh, you know, even like the werewolf character, and mm-hmm. you know, some of those kind of uh, weirder on the fringe for Batman, but kind of fits perfectly with Turtles. That's what the area I more want to explore. I actually have a, I have, I still have the notes of a proposed sequel one of these days if they ever want to pursue it again. So it would be nice, but <laughs> and it would mostly be touching on those characters that we didn't get to use. Because there's so many Batman villains we didn't get to use. And, I, you know, that would be really where a lot of the focus would be on characters like the Penguin or something that we didn't get to explore in the first one. Yeah, and, well, there's a cool way that you got that worked into your story. Because there is, as Bruce is under that fear toxin, and there's just one panel that's got all of those iterations of the characters from that universe that's really cool. So, I mean, it's got Man Bat, you know, back there. And, um, I mean... John was very, that was another um, uh, time when John was very nice. <laughs> I said, okay, here's a list. You don't have to draw all these. Draw whichever ones you think would be the most fun. And, of course, he had to one-up and do every single character. <laughs> and then we have a spread in issue, I think it's issue six, where I said, okay, here's a list of turtle villains. You don't have to put in all of them. And then he put all those in again. <laughs> it's like, all right. Like, take, you know, get some sleep at some point, John. But. <laughs> I mean, it, everybody was, uh, those were, those were pages that were talked about. So he definitely did, uh, you know, above and beyond. So that's something that I, I was going to end up asking you was if there were, if they do come calling, cause it does, it seems we're in a day and age where if something does really well, it is like, okay, let's, you know, let's pull from that. Well, again, what else do you got? And it's, it surprises me of, and then you kind of even confirmed it of like how well the book sold that they haven't gone back to it yet. And so I'd wondered if you have a story in the back of your mind that's on the shelf to grab if they ever come a knocking again to you. And it sounds like you do. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, and also if they ever do want to do the, you know, that Justice League, I still have that story, which was mostly uh, untouched compared to, you know, almost no elements. I think besides that one joke that was going to be about Wonder Woman. It turned into be a Batgirl joke. Almost none of that was covered in this either. So that could be fun. And which is fun for me too, because, you know, my very first comic, like as I was saying before, was um, Justice League Adventures. So in the Bruce Tim universe with that Justice League, it'd be fun to, you know, go back with those characters. And I think once you lay the groundwork, I think it was it was a really good idea, though, to start with Batman the Animated Series. Because mm-hmm. the amount of fans that are going to be excited for Batman the Animated Series, I think it's still higher than JLU. JLU has a huge fan base. But I think. You know, it's kind of like you kind of go in order, you know, with what shows you know, how to do it, you know, which and also, uh, you know, I'm we I'd actually think uh, Batman Beyond could work even in this world, you know, for uh, with all those splicers and things from that show could be fun to explore with the turtles. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think to to just for an introductory um, Justice League, I mean, I, you, I would feel you could come into a problem of like, well, I've got a lot of Superman, not much Batman, not much Wonder Woman, trying to even it out where mm-hmm. here it's like, well, you've got, if you did the Justice League Turtles crossover and if someone feels like there's not enough Batman, it's like, well, there's a whole six issue series that's got Batman in it. So, you know, and 
by doing a, a sequel series, you can expand and include more characters. Uh, I, I will be there for whatever comes out if it can. So I hope I hope somebody listens to this. Like you know what? Let's talk to Matthew again. <laughs> yeah, and here, here's hoping one of these days. But you know, the, it's funny because I, I do find that some you know these ideas manage to get themselves out somewhere or another. So some of my ideas that I, that were supposed to be. I, I, I did a pitch for a beast story back for X-Men long, a long, long time ago that turned into a Superman uh, children's book later on down the line. So I find ways to find these plots homes, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bonus issue that they they did release was a uh, Batman TMNT Adventures issue one director's cut. Oh, yeah. Do you do you get approached about this? I mean, specifically this one you did, you had to have because you wrote a piece at the end of it. But um, something like this, do they come to the to the talents and say, hey, we're doing a director's cut. Is there anything extra you want to throw in here or anything like that? Yeah, that was kind of like basically the approach. They were they were saying, you know, we're, we're doing this. It's, it's coming out. Um, it's coming out either way. We would really like to if you want to put anything extra in it. And so I just spent, I think, a day or two and whipped up a quick little uh, my tragic origin story where I <laughs> when I went to New York City and they stole and someone broke into our van and stole my duffel bag full of Ninja Turtle toys. And then but they didn't steal my Batman toys. So I became a Batman collector rather than a Ninja Turtle <laughs> collector from then on. So my life could have been so different. <laughs> yeah. But well, uh, I, it was I, I, like I had an endless, endless amounts of those turtle action figures growing up too so <laughs> i can't even imagine somebody stealing because i'd have been the same way if i went anywhere i had to take the action figures with me oh yeah and yeah. if somebody steals those oh and i think i only left the ones at home that i didn't like so <laughs> then i came back with just like these random like rat king i was like ah what am i gonna do with rat king <laughs> <laughs> so it, it wasn't a it, and then i remember originally my parents were like oh no no we'll, we'll totally buy those for you again and that promise never happened so <laughs> It's all right. They, I think they've more than made up with uh, other things over the years. So <laughs> I don't hold it against them. Although it was the best part about it was it was a blue duffel bag. And my mom was so paranoid after our van was broken into when we were ev- everywhere we went. We were still in New York for a couple more days. And remember, they were from Ohio and no cities really where we're from farmland, you know. So every person my mom saw on the street with any kind of a bag, she's like, they have your bag. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like a guy going about his business with a bag. It hadn't didn't look anything like mine, you know. And she thinks he's got this like small boys blue duffel bag, you know, <laughs> with my my elementary school written on the side of it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I mean, it's it's sad, but I mean, it's funny too. I'm... Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of both, but uh, yeah, I got I got over it all right. I think. <laughs> so in in this case too, so they they came to you for the director's cut issue, and you wrote a nice piece at the end there. Did, were you ever approached with anything for the collected trade? Uh, no, no, we weren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't, at least. A lot of times, that's in IDW. It's a uh, different department, I think. Um, um, because yeah, actually, one time I got a trade that one of my stories, my favorite story in the trade of a, it was a turtles trade, was attributed to a different writer. And I'm like, ah, oh, out of all the stories, that was my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> I emailed my editor and he had no idea that that had happened, so we had to go back. But then at that point, it had already been in three different trade paperbacks, so I don't think that was getting changed. I just didn't notice it until way late in the game. But I think some um, they have a. I think a lot of times they'll approach the artists more um, and say things like, "Do you have any sketches?" You know that kind of. One mm-hmm. thing um, John and I actually conspired to do. Um, I really wanted to do um, 
the title cards, like in Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. And so we actually, that was, John and I had to uh, really, you know, try to get that in the book. We, our editor was pretty much on board, but it was like essentially adding a new page to the budget. And so he had to go to the higher ups and get it approved because, you know, John can't just draw for free. So <laughs> yeah, we had to get that approved. And then John got to do different title cards for each, the credits for each one. And I was very happy that happened because it's a, it's such a part of Batman the Animated Series that, and John had already dr- done the first one, which was promo art that they just showed at comic conventions when it was teased. And so we already had one and we just needed five more, you know, and so they let us do it, which was, which is great. <laughs> well, that's something that's surprising to me. So those, those aren't included in the trade and then the director's cut issue isn't included in the trade. And so I, I was kind of surprised by it, which is still why for me, I, I really enjoy uh, the learning the process of how something's created. And so that's why I like those director's cut issues. And I'll rebuy a book uh, because it's got a forward by the author or the artist or something, because I really like to read that stuff. And so definitely I bought the single issues, bought the director's cut, and then the trade came out and I bought that because sometimes accessibility, it's easier if it's just on your shelf rather than go to the long box and grab some stuff. And I noticed I'm like, there's no title card and there's no director's cut. What is going on here? I got ripped off. See, I think part of the reason was that is um, they did that. I think there was, I'm trying to remember how many variant issues we had for the issue one. It was like 30 something. It was, it was insane. I've never done a book with that many variant covers you know, and then I got a giant box when the first issue came and we got like two of every one of the variants. And I was just like, whoa, all right. <laughs> it's nice. You know, as a guy that just naturally collects Batman, this is the only time I've ever got all the variants, you know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was kind of fun. So I think they had a lot of extra material already. And I mean, I was I was honestly hoping they would do a hardcover and it's, they still might. Um, IUW does go back and redo um, some of their releases. We've done um, like I did for that. um Amazing Adventures. I think they went back and put all of the issues together in an omnibus kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it wouldn't be out of realm of possibility if it's still selling well or if they wanted to kind of boost sales again to do a hardcover with that extra material in it. I would love it. Um, I'm not, Honestly, right now, I'm currently hoping because we're doing for the Avengers series, it's it's 12 issues, but each one is a three-issue arc. And so they're they're doing these mini trades of each three-issue but I'm I'm kind of hoping after the whole thing comes out and once everybody sees how much the end issues relate to the first issues that we might try to get an omnibus for that. I'm hoping they'll do that. So that's the one I've got my fingers crossed for now because <laughs> there's certain things I want on my table at all times. And I always have Batman Turtles when I do a convention. It's always on my table. And I used to have, um, I don't know if you saw my book, The Batman Files. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably my favorite of the hardcover history books that I've ever written because I, we got so much freedom on that book. And I got to kind of combine every single continuity from Batman comics in like kind of like the Grant Morrison approach that every story actually happened somewhere or the other. And we kind of figured out where everything happened uh, from, you know, 1939 till when the book came out, which was right before the New 52. And so that book I always had on my table at conventions. And that that had gone into like three printings now. But I just my last show I did, I think it was the last ones I had because the book's now finally out of print after being in print for almost a decade so I'm all, that was a little a little sad to find out that was not good, <laughs> but I'm hoping the Avengers is the next thing I can keep on my table at all times. So we'll see. Very cool. I I do hope that they do a hardcover deluxe because I know that's a, a DC thing right now is yeah. they're reprinting stories deluxe and so they're expanding the page and making it bigger and um, 
sometimes including a little extra a little extra here and there and i think i i prefer a hardcover over a soft cover anyway it just looks nicer on my my bookshelf and so hopefully one day they will reprint <laughs> reprint this and put all of those uh alternate covers the variants included too and the director's cut put that okay. director's cut in there a lot of people <laughs> might be missing out on your your origin story they Sorry. need to know <laughs> very important you know, my my tragic life event that shaped me <laughs> yes uh, so th- as far as the variant covers go well real quick was one of them was it this turtle series that was the iconic image of the dark knight returns where um they're all seated down it's like they're looking at a box of pizza it's like the end of dark knight returns when bruce is with the the others uh, no we didn't we did have that we did end on pizza um but okay. it's all kind of like it's just the batman characters enjoying yeah. At the okay. end, when the turtles leave, of issue, I think issue five. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we didn't. We didn't do the. I don't know if we did any Dark Knight uh, homages. I'm not sure now. That I'm thinking about it. It's been a while. I mean, I might have. <laughs> That's okay. kind of like in my blood. That comes out all the time. You know, <laughs> I re- what, I've read that book so many times. Were there any? Like, are you in the know on how a variant process works, or is that all the company of just reaching out to artists and saying, "Do you have any ideas?" Uh, yeah, that's mostly. It, I mean, I, there was actually when this came out, a couple artists uh, when they when I was when it was announced that I was on the book, a couple artists contacted me directly and said, "Hey, can I do a variant?" And uh, one of my friends asked me, and then I said, "Oh yeah," and I talked to um, the editor about it, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, we can get him a variant." And then the, my friend was like, "Oh, never mind. I don't have time now. My schedule's too busy." <laughs> <laughs> but normally, I don't have I, I don't have any say. I mean, I was very happy that they uh, got Eastman to do a cover. That was mm-hmm. a big deal for me, you know, like, <laughs> and then Laird did a different cover, which was really fun. So it's kind of, you know, a lot of those, there was, I think the only person that didn't do a cover that they reached out for was Bruce Tim. And oh, it's still gotcha. bums, it's, it still bums me out a little bit, but I don't know what was going on. You know, maybe he just didn't care about the turtles. <laughs> I'm sure he's got a pretty busy schedule over there, but uh, I think they got, I mean, they did get so many great, you know, names for those variant covers, which you know, if, if I was just collecting the books, I'd want to have to buy all of these things. It would have cost me a small fortune. But, <laughs> but instead, you get a whole box of them sent to you for yeah. free. So there you go. Yeah. And it came in good shape. Sometimes you get your comps and, like, the whole box is destroyed. And uh, it's like, that's oh. got to be heartbreaking. Yeah. But... <laughs> I've had to rebuy more than one of my own issues just because it was so destroyed. <laughs> that's a weird world to live in. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, the other one, I still, there's, there's actually a cover out there that I don't have of, um, the turtles anniversary issue they put every person that's worked on turtles on the cover and all their names on it on the cover mm-hmm. it was like i think the issue 100 um and it was a variant co- uh, comic for a, some um company and i i still haven't got a copy of that <laughs> so i asked my editor he's like we don't have any extra variants that's all for you know just the people that worked on that particular book and i was like ah because i think it was like a 50 dollar variant or something i'm like i don't really want to spend 50 dollars for my own name on a comic <laughs> I'm all right. I know. I know it's out there. Buying your own name. That's odd. Yeah. That's another weird, weird world to live in. <laughs> I, some, I usually uh, ask. So here's some questions for at the end of I ask somebody when talking about a book. And I, I know you've referenced it's been a while with this. But if anything pops into your head, uh, first off, do you have a favorite part of this series that you can remember when the final product was done and you saw the pages from John? Um, I think, I mean, it's probably, it's, it's, it's probably that intro, the, you know, the intro parody is probably still mm-hmm. my favorite scene. My, my favorite joke on it um, is when Batman is 
like Alfred's like serving Batman food. You know, Batman's in the cave, and he's like, and he's like, "Do you have time to eat or whatever?" And Batman's like, "I gotta go." And Alfred's like, "Oh, then this plate of nothing is gonna go to waste." And he opens his thing, and there's nothing on the plate. But then the, <laughs> my favorite part of that, a lot of people don't see it because it's very small in the background, is Alfred is actually when Batman's going to the Batmobile, Alfred is scraping nothing off the plate into the trash <laughs> can, and which is to me very like, uh, you know sarcastic Alfred so I was very happy when I wrote that scene <laughs> and and I you know it's always fun to see that kind of stuff you know come uh come to be in an actual comic so that's those are probably my favorite parts that and the portal scene that, that I have the page for <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's, so like a, that's a favorite part and then a favorite panel but it seems almost like maybe the favorite panel would be the Mikey's hand through the portal then grabbing Bruce's Batman's face, <laughs> the gargoyle. And then John just nailed it so well, like as far mm-hmm. as the humor of it, of how stoic Batman is and, you know, how ridiculous Mikey's being at this exact moment, you know. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun scene to see. Yeah, that was great. So I guess to, as we kind of wrap this up, to if you can kind of summarize, like how was this experience working on this crossover? that you can remember from beginning to end. And I guess still now, cause it's still being bought by new readers and still being referenced by readers. And yeah, that's one of the things that's, that's, I think my biggest takeaway from this particular project is I get more messages about it than anything I've done. Like I'll get just like random, you know, messages on Twitter. Like, Oh, I love this comic. And it's like, Oh, that's, that was nice. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, that's good when you're having a, a regular, work day and get like some nice notes on things which is always fun but um yeah i think i mean for me this experience was it was it was a very positive one sometimes i've been beaten down by comics <laughs> like or i've gotten so many notes on a project where it just feels like oh am i even doing something that's good you know i don't know at this point and i we didn't have that experience at all on this um everyone was really supportive so it was very a uh, nice i mean it it the only i wish we had more pages um, I think there's part of my brain that works for it on a 22 page script, no matter what I do. And modern comics mostly have 20. Um, I think that's starting to change in some of the DC books now. So I think there's always a couple things I have to leave on the cutting room floor that always bothers me. You know, there, there are things that I would love to have fit in there or sequences. I really like moment to moment sequences um, where it's kind of like panel to panel with a stat panel. It's the same, but like something slightly different. I, it's mm-hmm. a really great way of conveying humor and, this kind of book had needed to have a lot of humor. And I think that's because I grew up with the, the Giffen, um, the Mattis, uh, justice league series where they use that perfectly, you know, that device of, uh, the, those silent panels and gag panels. So I think I would have, if I could have had a little bit more room on some of those pages, I think it could have been just a little bit more the way I like it, but you know, it's one of those, you're never quite completely happy with anything you do. At least I'm not anything I've ever done. There's always something like, ah, I want to change that part now, you know? mm-hmm. but overall it's one of the more, more positive books. I've uh, more positive experience. I've worked on in comics and, you know, it's very hard to be like mad about doing a book that was Batman turtles. It was like one of the best experiences you can get, especially after being upset that I didn't get to work on the first one. When I actually got, you know, when it became realistic that I could do a Batman turtle series, that was very much dream come, you know, come true, taking your childhood toys and mashing them together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bringing it to life, what we all did as kids and bringing all these worlds together, you actually got to do that for something and share. Do you have in your mind uh, what one of those sequences that you had to cut out was? Like, do you have any little nuggets? Uh, I'm trying to think. It was more about 
um, expanding on scenes, I think, than anything okay. else. So it was more like there wasn't specific scenes that I had to really cut out as much as like uh, that scene would have been a little bit better if there's several fight scenes, for instance, where I think with the um, the mutant hyenas, when we when we got to do that, I, there was a lot of things in the fight scene, which is I really like to do fun, unique moments in fight scenes. And we really didn't have enough room to do that. And I was already asking for too many panels on these pages that I wanted to be more open and bigger action. And so it was kind of like trying to find that balance. So I think those I would add a little bit more um, mm-hmm. things to. So it'd be mostly like uh, fight scene sequences more than uh, other. I mean, I feel like there was one scene, and I can't remember what it was now. My, I feel like it was something quiet with the with April that might have been, or like some sort of gag that I didn't get to put in. But <laughs> we got a we got some good April O'Neil time in here, and she <laughs> she fought. She fought right there with the best of them, so she did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one thing, too. It's like there's all these characters, and like I think I remember originally wanting to put Casey Jones somewhere in there, and I don't think we got to him at all. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like, oh, that would have been fun, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's just too many characters to play off each other when you get to these things. And like that Clayface scene was originally supposed to be um, Killer Croc, the opening mm-hmm. Clayface scene. And mm-hmm. I think what happened was the Batman, the first Batman Turtles series hit, and they had used. Uh, Killer Croc right in the sewers if I'm remembering correctly I think that's what happened and I was like oh no we have to like we <laughs> we don't want to copy this at all so I had to do a whole different thing which I'm and I always love using Clayface so it's kind of it kind of worked out well and I got to do there's even a little nod to Star Wars in there with the um I think Mikey gets pulled underwater like the trash compactor scene in Star Wars so yeah <laughs> I, little, didn't put, I, didn't put, I didn't put that together <laughs> Yeah, so I I distinctly remember. So when I when I gave this to my niece to to read, and she started laughing, it was because when Mikey called Clayface Mudbutt. Oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) my my daughters love that, and I was actually really thinking that wasn't going to make it into the comic. I was I I just didn't think there was any way that DC was going to let me call Clayface Mudbutt, and (laughs) it was not even it wasn't even like a hint of a problem. Like no one cared. Like, so here I've been, like, worried, like, oh, I got to find a funny alternative, and I couldn't think of a funnier backup. And so, you know, once – and my, my daughter still called Clayface my butt. <laughs> to this day. Yeah. I don't know if they know his real name. <laughs> Do I, – I should have asked this a while ago. Um, for this miniseries, did you have a character that you liked writing more, like, the most? I'd imagine they all were fun in their own regard, but if there's one standout. Um, I think – I, I had a lot of fun with the Joker Harley dynamic. Um, yeah. Like, as I had said, yeah, I'd added a page for that. So that turned out to be a lot, a lot of fun because I wasn't just writing Joker and Harley. I was writing the Arlene Sorkin, Mark Hamill versions of Joker and Harley, which is a whole, you know, it's a very a special thing in my, you know, nostalgia, I guess. So I really, uh, I really enjoyed doing those. I think, um, I think almost just writing any turtle with Batman was a lot of fun. Like just the back and forth of Batman being the straight man character. And then, you know, Mikey being just like ridiculous or even, you know, we got to do that with Robin a bit too, which was fun. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, I think everybody, I got to have a little like in that Alfred scene. So I got to do a lot of little moments with all the characters I really liked, you know, for this. So I didn't feel like I went through and like missed out on any, on any of it. Like I got to do that little, hint of a romance between uh, Donatello and uh, Batgirl, which was fun, and then have uh, 
Robin get jealous about it later on, which is another fun thing. You know, just these little tiny moments. So uh, I, I, I got to explore most everybody to a, to some small degree, which is good. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be tough. I mean, I th- I always feel like the fan favorite fan favorites always going to be Mikey because yeah. he's, he's the fun one. He's the kid at heart, but with the, I mean, with the turtles, I mean, each one of them, somebody's favorite. Uh, I think they all get a lot of love. So I, I don't know. It, I envy your position in getting to write for all of these great characters. I mean, what a fun story. Uh, so what's, What's next for you? I know you're you're wrapping up the Avengers story, but is there anything else that you can kind of tease us about? Uh, well, my next um, my next Batman related thing is that um, exploring Gotham, yeah, book, which I'm really happy with too. That's a really fun one. It's um, a it it's like a not essentially so much maps to Gotham City as like kind of like these iconographic kind of imagery. Like um, it, it's hard to describe. You can see some of the sample pages of it on like. Um, like bookstores, websites and things um, where they have a little couple preview pages, but um, it's just, it's very stylized and we kind of explore, like we do a spread on the, on Wayne Manor and we do several spreads on the Batcave and we do spreads on, you know, different locations in Gotham from like Robinson Park to like old Wayne Tower to like some of the newer Wayne buildings. And so, you know, in Arkham and, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Ace Chemical and all this. So, and we kind of like explore a lot of the big things that happened in these locations. We tell just little stories about, you know, things that happened. And one other fun thing was my editor really kind of pushed doing more with the graphics. And so I was able to go back, we wrote the whole thing. And then I was able to go back and add little, um, uh, kind of like Easter eggs throughout. So instead of just showing the back cave and explaining all the different parts of the back cave in that spread, the league of assassins are slowly breaking into the back cave. And you see them kind of like hiding around and then you see until it kind of, you know, culminates in this like Rachel Ghoul Batman fight in the trophy room, you know, later on in one of the other Batcave spreads. So that it's kind of fun to do those little things or we have like, you know, Batmites hidden somewhere in there and we put a lot of minor characters. <laughs> but I got to touch on the modern continuity and we do a lot of post-crisis continuity, but there's even some nods in there to earlier um stories the the problem with that is that the earlier stories didn't always keep the same um the geography consistent and so like they would just call it uh gotham central park sometimes or gotham park or you know and then after um when you know denny o'neill was handling the books it started becoming robinson park and that was kind of a a set that's always been since you know so it's Mm -hmm. we we kind of take took a, a few liberties and said, Oh, this park is sometimes also called this and this happened there. You know, so I got to refer to some like an old scarecrow story where, you know, from like the sixties and I, I kept trying to, I want, I wanted to kind of feel a little bit timeless. So we tried to, you know, use a lot of different eras in it. And there's some nods um, either in Easter eggs or just in some of the story points of earlier, um, you know, a, earlier adventures. So like when we do a, a spread on crime alley, we'll talk a little bit about, um, current like red hood and the outlaw storylines where he jason was you know jason todd had a base there for a bit and so we talk about that but we also talk all the way when like um poison ivy in the early 80s had a, a hideout on uh a, on the old park row there where it was like a you know she turned this uh townhouse into a you know some green sanctuary kind of thing so we we try to touch a little bit you know and go back to even stories before that like maxi zeus's first appearance and some, you know, some old, older fun tidbits, uh, some of my favorite stuff. 
Very cool. I feel like that could that could really be fun for fans too, because if they're unfamiliar, it's like, oh, they see this. Okay, let me track down, you know, let me track down the comic that references this. Let me read that story too. And the DC Universe subscription service, it can help with that because you know you've got a whole library at your fingertips now. So they could really work well off each other. And that, that, it also gave me an excuse to buy the this um, Gotham City 3D map puzzle that they made of several years ago. Oh, and yeah. And it is, it's actually so well done in the comic universe. I was really impressed. I thought it was just going to be something um, that kind of touched on a couple things. But they really go with that uh, Elliot Brown map of Gotham that you saw in um, uh, No Man's Land for the first time, uh-huh. where they kind of show all the different... And it's really consistent uh, with everything in the comics. So I was, I was very impressed by that. Uh, more than I thought I would thought it would be. It's actually back in my office, still set up there. So, <laughs> is it was it really fun to put together? Uh, it was. It's actually. I, I'm surprised. I, uh, I I'm not really a puzzle guy, but I think it was also because I had a, it was a bonding experience between my seven and ten year old, and we were all putting it all together. Mm-hmm. But for me, it actually helped because I was trying, you know, obsessing over these neighborhoods at the time, and then seeing them in relation to each other on the map, like over and over and over. It would kind of, and then I had to figure out where. Things like okay, Burn, where's Burnside now? You know, how, where does that fit into this? And uh, and I guessed originally, and then found out I was right with my guess. So <laughs> that was that was good. And then I had to figure out where where would the new you know like Monster Town be? So these new elements from the comics, we had to figure out where that would be on the on the classic map. And so we kind of we do open with a map, and uh, so that's on there, which is a lot of fun. Um, but again, it's a case where I wish I had like you know twenty more spreads. For this book, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to go into Bloodhaven a little bit. Um, you know, I'd love to do the same thing with Metropolis too, just because around the same time they had so many great maps in the secret files and things where they really explored the neighborhoods and kind of gave a more realistic environment to these characters, which I've always loved. That's really cool. So, when is this book going to be available? I'm I'm trying to think. I think this one's May. Maybe okay. It's fairly. Art no, actually, no. May is when the DC Universe uh, encyclopedia is going to come out. That I work. Oh, okay. So this one might actually be. It might be here this fall. I'd have to relook. It. <laughs> Everything's been a blur. I've worked on a. Co- I also did a book for. Um, I did a book recently about um, for Sideshow, which I've never worked with before, and that was a really fun experience where we just kind of delve into some of their fine art prints, which have a lot of. Um, from you know ranging from their horror characters to like batman to like you know other dc characters and marvel characters so that was another fun one i just did this year and then yeah and then i had a couple other i'm doing some other um, storybooks i have a there's a collection of marvel stories i'm not even sure what the title is because i don't I haven't have my copies yet where i did a couple kids stories for guardians of the galaxy and some spider-man and then i'm kind of doing some more stuff uh for marvel right now and that's in that kind of vein and then um and yeah, and I also did a cyborg children's book that came out a few months ago too. So just a little bit all over the place. <laughs> you, yeah. So easily understandable how you can be like, wait, which book comes out when? I'm I've got yeah. five right here. Uh, I, close. I always say I've written over eighty books because I haven't counted recently. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm I'm getting close to a hundred. I'm not sure if I'm quite there yet, but I'll have to see. I also wrote a book wow. about Jurassic Park recently, so it was kind of <laughs> yeah, I really. Um, a little all over, you know. So. There's a there's your next crossover. Ninja Turtles go to Jurassic Park. Boom. That, that, could be, <laughs> that kind of writes itself. So. It really does. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, so, like, lastly, just thank you so much for 
taking the time to come talk to me and nerding out with me. Uh, I've gotten to ask you a lot of questions that I've wanted to ask since I started reading the book. Uh, if anybody wants to follow you to uh, learn of when some of these, you know, 80 books of yours are coming out over the next few months and such, uh, where can they do that? Uh, I'm on my, my website's just matthewkmanning.com. It's a, about to get an over. It's right, right now just a blog. It's about to get an overhaul, but it shouldn't be down for long if you know whenever that happens. But I'm also uh, under uh, Twitter uh, as Matthew K Manning, and I'm on Facebook as well. So I'm kind of kind of find me all over the place. So I still haven't. I need to get on Instagram, but I you know I feel like I've been on too much social media as it is. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> especially now yeah. yeah exactly so if things if things uh get back to normal then we'll start to you know maybe take a little less time on social media and start to explore things we were taking for granted like getting outside <laughs> oh, yeah yeah i miss i miss comic conventions actually this year was supposed to be i had more conventions scheduled this year than any other year ah. and all new cities that i haven't been to, i mean i've been to to visit but i've never done shows there so Really looking forward to a lot of those. Hopefully, those will all be happen next year, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I feel like there's, you know, when these do bounce back, they might be the most highest, like highest attended yeah. cons because people are, I mean, people are missing them for sure. Oh, yeah. So I hope so. I mean, I've got my my closet is I have my closet where I keep all my extra books and things, and it's just overflowing now. So <laughs> gotta. <laughs> Got to skim down at some point. <laughs> Maybe when you go the next time, they'll have that uh, Marvel omnibus that you're hoping for. So oh, yeah. there we go. <laughs> Let's hope on that. So again, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to answer answer some questions and go down this fun road through New York and Gotham City yet again. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Very cool. Thanks again to Matthew Manning for sitting down and answering all of my nerdy questions and giving us a lot of cool behind the scenes information on this fantastic series. If for some reason you haven't read it yet, I strongly encourage you to just blind buy and read it. You will not regret it. With that being said, uh, make sure that you follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at the Batman BC so I can notify you of upcoming episodes. Maybe you can do some homework and hopefully some more exciting interviews are on the horizon hmm. again you can follow me on twitter at lauer underscore ryan lauer spelled like lower and lastly if you would ever be so kind please rate and review the show it's in the the link to the the page is in the description of this episode and it is much appreciated so i think that'll about do it i hope you've enjoyed the turtle week and until next time read more batman comics